Pod Clubhouse. Attention all passengers. The temperature outside is minus 119 degrees Celsius. We are six years, nine months, and 26 days from departure. For your personal safety, be prepared to brace. This is Paul. This is Kat. And this is Inez. Today, we're going to talk about the sixth episode of the second season of TNT, Snowpiercer. This one was called Many Miles from Snowpiercer. I tried looking that up to see if there was any specific reference. I think we're just supposed to insert home instead of the words (laughs) Snowpiercer. Did you guys come up with any other more specific connection to that title? I'm a very literal person, Paul. Uh, I didn't read too much into it besides she's many miles from Snowpiercer. A very recent song called Many Miles from Blacksburg, which is a song about Texas. So, you know, that's probably not it. (laughs) That's probably not it. It's probably just about home. I particularly loved this episode uh, in that it was full of flashbacks to the stuff that we've been asking about this whole time. Did you guys like it? Loved this episode. Yeah, when we didn't have Melanie in the last episode, I I didn't know how they would like approach it. And I know we speculated like maybe it's going to be a Melanie focused episode and it was. It was even better than what I thought we were going to get. So yeah, I loved it too. Oh, I really loved that it was like only Melanie. I really enjoyed um, seeing this whole perspective from like everything that she's experiencing in her eyes and her mental state and uh, and even like the sounds, just kind of like that immersion experience. So thank you writers for that. All the little bits that went into this episode in terms of, you know, the, the station and the, its condition. If you if you recall, I did predict that it would be in a shambles <laughs> and it was actually probably in better shape than I predicted. I thought it was going to be, you know, ceilings collapsed and shit like that. And it was in better shape than, mm-hmm. than that. Uh, she managed to turn it back on and all that good shit. But all the details of just, you know, they look like... There was still all kinds of living stuff there, you know, books and uh, kitchen stuff and all that stuff still left out. I liked the uh, the scribble on the whiteboard <laughs> that seemed to indicate people were starting to lose their shit. Uh, <laughs> yes. The uh, last people that lived there. Did any particular detail stand out to you guys? This episode more so uh, felt different because of what we went through during the Texas freeze (laughs) and the (laughs) apocalypse. And so like when she was running out of food and it was just so cold and she was trying to get the tent up in the inside. And I was like, wow, this feels very (laughs) relatable given what we went through and other people. So this episode in particular, it felt more like, I don't know. I think I, I felt different watching it just because of our insight to like what we went through um, in real life. I don't know if you felt that way too, but I had it relatively easy, but I do know that a lot of people did have that sort of feeling that Melanie had there, especially toward the beginning where it's like one more thing, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> she needed to make the little tent. I know people that had to make tents in their own homes next to the fireplace in order to to keep warm. Like she needed to get the power squared away. I know people that sat in their homes for three days without power and their homes just eventually drifted down to, you know, 40 something degrees. We didn't have it that bad, but we did get it cold enough that like when we tried to see if we could salvage anything from the freezer, 
uh, and the refrigerator, when we opened the doors, it was like the same temperature in the house <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> as it was yeah. in there. So I was like, I guess that's a bad sign. It's yeah. <laughs> It just felt weird because it, it felt like we're watching a show about the end of the world, like, you know, what happened. And then like we went through, like it, it was the first time that's happened while watching a show. It was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think I, I watched this episode twice. I watched it before the freeze. And then I watched it again when I realized I'm about to come into this conversation with Kat and Paul, who are legitimate survivors of this most recent ice storm. The, you know, we have a t-shirt and everything. <laughs> yeah. We've got to get you some, some t-shirts. That's like good thing. I mean, it's, it was bad. It is, you know, I think it was over 80 people passed away from this major natural disaster in Texas. So it, it was very serious. And, and I feel very fortunate and very happy that both of you, um, and your families um, were able to make it safely through. But um, I did feel a lot of empathy for you as I was watching this episode. And I think it made me feel even more for Melanie. And I'm very interested to hear those perspectives throughout this uh, specific episode from you guys as, as, you know, if you don't mind sharing, right? Like, you know, (laughs) how how all that goes. Hopefully none of you had to like cook rats. (laughs) Yeah, it didn't get that dire. we, We jumped straight to cannibalism. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of cannibalism, I had in my notes, I was really ready to see if uh, she was going to eat that arm. She got close. I think she got close. Um, do you guys think she considered it? Oh, yeah. I think so. And I, I love that um, throughout this episode, like, although it is, you know, it was just Melanie, like um, Inez said, with uh, you get to see the, her mental state. And then we see, you know, I guess the figures of her imagination through other Snowpiercer characters like Andre basically tying her like, oh yeah, I remember when you made us basically do this because you wouldn't feed us and then she has to go through it. And like, that was perfect having, um, you know, the different characters given what she was going through in this one. Do you guys think that the three characters that appear in her head, do they represent any specific thing or were they just sort of who she needed to get through that moment? I do think they represent certain things. I think with Andre, it probably represents maybe her failures as as a leader or or the guilt she feels sort of like what Ruth has been going through. It's sort of like they've had time to reflect and and they're feeling a bit guilty and I feel like she's feeling like her shortcomings, right? Like and and it's it's it just shows a lot that he's in there when she's, you know, having to eat the rat because they had to eat that jelly or whatever it was, you know? So <laughs> if you've yeah. seen the movie, you know what it was. <laughs> yes. And then like, of course, um, like, and then the daughter is representing something else. And then also Wilford, but like that stood out to me. I think, it, I mean, again, they don't show, um, you know, how we say it's always for a reason. So I feel like it does represent that. But what, what would you think Alex and Wilford represent? The Wilford stuff was always wrought with conflict and it was like uh, driving her to keep needing to do whatever she was doing. You know, if she was working on the batteries, if she was working on the putting together the climate model or whatever, he always seemed to show up when it was those kinds of things. Like, I guess maybe the mission related stuff his his words would sort of compel her to, to keep keep going whereas alex she seemed to be i'm not sure what she was there for except that she brought with her a message of forgiveness that i'm not sure that real alex feels just yet but 
but head Alex, I'm, I called them all head characters, head Mr. <laughs> w, but head Alex, it's like uh, Melanie needed to hear that stuff from head Alex, maybe just to find some peace, just in case she did not make it. Yeah, there's a lot of like heavy stuff, very extreme circumstances that she's trying to get through it. And I felt like the manifestations of uh, these interactions was kind of like, it's a life or death kind of situation here. How my, you know, I, I assumed kind of like the stuff with Alex was about making peace, just like what you said, Paul. It was about making peace. It was about reminding herself that she did the decision that she really did believe was the right thing to do. And it was, I really appreciated getting to get um, an actual memory hop into what that experience was under the extreme circumstances she's under. She has to muster all of her strength, will all of her focus to support the mission as best as she could. And it was definitely very difficult. I know you mentioned earlier, right? Like the the station was um, in better shape than, than you probably thought it would be, even though it still needed work. And I'm kind of like, you know, I thought it still fucking sucked. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it could have been worse. Like when she, when she she went to flip the switch, it could have had, you know, a burnout here or there or the, uh, that tower that she needed in order to communicate. Man, why did it pick that moment to give (laughs) give out? It's been years. (laughs) (laughs) What about Mr. Wilford in her head though? Inez, what did you what did you think about those scenes? Was it just like needing that kind of spiteful fuck you kind of kind of motivation to to keep going? Because um, she also had in, mixed in there the flashbacks that featured Mr. Wilford and I, what I what I, I I considered those flashbacks sort of the case against. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Wilford, but they intrinsically tied to Alex because, you know, they were all built uh, or most of them had something to do with Alex, whether she was building the train or negotiating to save Alex or waiting for Alex or deciding to leave without Alex. They all had to do with her and Mr. Wilford. Absolutely. Wilford is definitely... The piece of shit that we know that he is, like, we've got to see that <laughs> fucking murdering all of the geneticists, like, that whole thing. I'm a science person. I don't know if that, like, comes out in these episodes where I try to, I tend to be more practical about stuff. And I was really angry from, like, a science perspective on, like, how how like gruesome and thoughtless and irresponsible and dismissive, like how easy it was of like just what felt like a kind of a simple but serious kind of disagreement with Melanie, but then like so nonchalantly, yeah, let's go ahead and kill all the geneticists and then like over and out. And then they do it like, what the fuck? He is a monster. And I was like concerned. I was like, why is he like in her inner subconscious <laughs> all this time? <laughs> the only thing I could think of is that she just really wants to probably get back and like get rid of him again. She's driven by love from her daughter. She's driven from like the science of of everything. And then a big part here is being driven by the hatred from and all of the abuse that she's endured uh, at Wilford's hands feels really really significant like he's just keep I keep, every time i think that he can't get worse he's fucking worse oh my god <laughs> i wonder though um what i was thinking when they were showing the flashbacks is uh, um and maybe this is not even important i'm just dwelling on it but i do want to know like and, and maybe given like the thoughts she was having with wilford and how 
like when you were mentioning Paul that she, you know, it's always when she needed to do something. And so I wonder if it's also like a love hate relationship, knowing that like Wilford does drive her and to do her best in a way, because like, I don't know whether it's out of spite or just because he is brilliant in his own weird maniacal way. And like that also helps her, you know, like they push each other and even though it's kind of toxic and maybe she knows that and like uses that as like the motivation to continue on. But also like, do you think they had the history like like with Audrey like I'm still want to know like is he the dad of Alex because <laughs> there was like no mention of that at all and like so I, I don't know maybe I'm just like it's just some other person and we don't, I shouldn't dwell on this anymore but like is there also that thing going on or would we you think they would have re- um, let that information already come out I think by now I'm starting to feel maybe it's just because I really want it to be this way is that he is not her baby daddy there's i mean he threatened to like he threatened her family you know in that flashback and like who does that if that's like his child right so i just can't um i you know i feel like the only reason that he did end up saving alex was purely for this bargaining chip and for this manipulation that track that he's on yeah at this point i think the only viable track to think of him in the father role would have been just as a deeply deeply guarded secret you know Mm, like like he doesn't even know (laughs) that he is the father yeah (laughs) as they say on the maury povich show (laughs) like do you think that's also an aspect of maybe why it's not just him being you know who he is and being you know having that abuse like do you think it's more and that's why he's in those flash he's in you know her head as well not just because of the other stuff of what he's done like were they also linked together do you think or do you think at this point it just doesn't matter it definitely could play into it and it would be a big dramatic turn and and even semi-believable if she kept it secret this whole time the one thing that kind of blows it in my mind is that melanie is chronologically a little older than me, you know, probably maybe five or 10 years older than me for all I know. Maybe at one point she did think he was brilliant and didn't see the really bad side of him, you know, like she just saw the good, like, Hey, we're going to build a new world and, you know, get through this and believed him. And maybe it was like towards the end that she was like, Oh no, he's just a psycho and wants like, you know, his night car and like all that kind of stuff, you know? So I wonder if that's also her feeling guilty for having gone along with it, being naive in the beginning thinking he was this and that. And then, you know, it wasn't out of manipulation, but it was just like, she did admire him, you know? People like at any age, they can be victims of domestic violence and manipulation by Mm -hmm. anybody at any age, right? It all depends on the circumstances of how that journey ended up going and we don't know everything. We only have these tiny little peaks into their relationship. We know that they have a very uh, tight kind of like working relationship. You know, it seems like they spent hours and hours and years just like building, designing this um, global solution. So I can see them working together and knowing a lot of that. And I can even like maybe believe historically that they might have had like a, maybe even like a mentorship type of relationship. I'm not feeling anymore about the romantic side, even though that totally could be some kind of possibility. And you don't have to be romantically involved with somebody to be manipulated. But I don't think Melanie, I'm not thinking that she's like a victim of that type of manipulation about like that she's keeping a baby from him for all of these years. We don't have anything 
to like give us really good tangible in either direction. The only thing I really have to go off of is like what I physically see. And what I physically see is Wilford and Jennifer Connelly are, uh, are you know, Melanie's character are in the show are blue eyed and they're pale complexion. And, <laughs> uh, and, and, and I also see that Alex and then her, her name is Alexandra gives me like Latin flares. So I can't see Wilford having like fathered a child with another Caucasian woman who has a child who looks like she's like a mixture of Latin rooted ethnicities maybe. And that totally speculation, but I'm just using my science logic to kind of like touch on that. But I definitely believe that there definitely was some kind of manipulative relationship and grooming relationship that they were involved in early on. I just don't necessarily feel like I care to go down like the fathering, like the Maury, yeah. <laughs> Maury show route. <laughs> you are not the father. <laughs> Maybe it's just by virtue of the scenes that we're getting between the two of them, which would only have been after years of working together, uh, that a certain comfort level would arise, you know, between the two of them. But it's like he, for, for, for all the moments where he, at, you know, can seem uh, charming, he usually ends the scene ruining it somehow with, with, an, with how he actually feels about something i wonder if that's how he is just throughout or if he manages to maintain maintain that charming facade at large but just behind the scenes when he's with people that he's worked with for a while that he lets it loose that he's he's fine being the arbiter of people's ultimate fates in in the face of um snowmageddon <laughs> i like that yeah <laughs> um and i think that just might be me watching too much tv and like maybe that's usually the plot <laughs> so maybe yeah. they'll go away from that and it's like, not really I, your fault cat like yeah. caroline and i watch um, this is us do you watch this is us mm-hmm. yes yes <laughs> the, the audience for this is us seems to want this incestuous relationship <laughs> for any new person that's ever met on the show caroline was uh perusing like facebook comments for like this last week people just are just programmed to want to think or maybe it was the week before when we met nasser the programmer behind um digital data compression i think half the tv audience out there still thinks that those are miguel's parents Because one of them came from uh, a Spanish-speaking country. They had nothing to do with Miguel. <laughs> you know? But that's just how TV people, TV watchers, are have, you know, have been programmed by different yeah. tropes is into thinking that. So I can't fault you for that, Kate. Or not Kate, or uh, Kat. Uh, this is us. <laughs> right, exactly. I've been programmed, too. I'm yeah. susceptible to the programming. Yeah, yeah we're so used to that. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was, we're so used to like kind of like seeing, you know, shows kind of like go those routes. And but we've also started to see a lot of shows kind of transition to like only if it's necessary to the plot, not just to add drama. And I really appreciate um, the, that kind of direction where a lot of shows are going. And I have, as you all know, I've been like very anti Zara uh, and that whole love triangle <laughs> this whole time that we've been dealing with this this show. So it would probably really piss me off if we have another one on top 
top of it. Like I barely now though am starting to understand the Zara connection because we need to kind of see how how it's playing out with with how her influence is going over Andre. But I don't know. Maybe it's also that I really don't want this to be a factor in here because I really hate Wilford and I don't want Alex to go through that kind of trauma of having <laughs> dealed with like her mom lying about another thing. You know, she's already trying to just deal with her mom leaving her behind in her eyes to die with the rest of the world and Wilfer comes but then to find out that like Wilfer's her dad like all of that just felt like too much and he's too nasty of a person I definitely just don't want to go through that <laughs> that's, that's fair that's fair and uh you know you have to wonder does just kind of tv wise or contracting wise does Snowpiercer have you know, the whatever behind the scenes to have Sean Bean on contract for multiple seasons. Can they afford him? Does he want to? You know, that that kind of stuff comes into play into his arc, uh, whether whether or not we can expect to see him next year. Yeah. What a conflict, right? Like, I hate this character so much, but I love Sean Bean with all my heart. Yeah. <laughs> He's playing him so good. Yeah. Especially since I'm so used to, like, the Ned Stark. Like, you feel like he's going to die all the time. Like, will he actually survive this? (laughs) That's like going again. Also, as like the writers of the show, knowing like the audience would have that impression of Sean, Sean being, you know, just like that he always dies. So if he actually makes it, that's like, whoa, mind blowing. (laughs) When my husband saw that he was in here, he's like, well, at least we know he's going to die at the end. I was like, what? And he's like, Sean Bean dies in everything. (laughs) I was like, spoiler. (laughs) You can, you can actually find articles exposing the the idea of of does he has he died on screen more than anybody else or whatever and and there i think i've read articles that are like 10 actors that have died on screen more often than sean bean i think that's an actual (laughs) thing title yeah culture (laughs) let's go and look at the the scenes for the flashbacks um and and maybe talk about those a little bit because this is the world building stuff that I think adds a lot of texture to the show and helps answer some questions that we've had throughout. Uh, that first flashback made me realize that we've never seen the cab or what do you call it? The engine of Snowpiercer lit up with like bright yellow, sunny daylight sunbeams. You, did you realize that? It's always been blue, snowy, shitty, cold, uh, lighting yeah. in there but th- but seeing it in like warm lighting was like huh it's it's kind of nice <laughs> did they talk about like how how long before freeze time like that was like they, that setting was in not that i'm aware of it might have been discussed like you know this we know about the the previous movie but it also came from comics and i've never read the comics because i don't read french i don't know if there are english translations i've not done my homework on the comics at all the short answer is i don't know the longer answer is i i think that it probably took some amount of time maybe even years where they were like huh this year was colder than last year huh this year was much colder than last year that sort of thing because they were not in any big fat hurry when they were on uh, the engine there when they were having their champagne or (laughs) toast or whatever it was uh congratulating themselves 
Yeah, I know. And then <laughs> I think the the whole thing, like also the flat, what stood out to me in those like flashbacks was the the relationship between um, Wilford and Ben <laughs> and how it's always just been so rocky and how Ben was the one who actually like screwed Wilford over when, you know, he, he got, he outsmarted him. And maybe that's also why he hates Ben so much now. Let's, let's skip ahead to the, to the, uh, the night car uh, flashback. What stood out to me about this one, this is where they're negotiating. Like they don't actually make much headway deciding what to do with the night car. It, it, this is where the the brothel origin of the night car was first discussed. But what they're really talking about is, are we going to add more geneticists or are we going to add more jackboots to the passenger list? There's a moment there where he basically says, well, your family doesn't need to come if you're going to disagree with me. And I'm kind of wondering, did the kernel of the idea of of needing to do something without Mr. Wilford in terms of either stealing Snowpiercer or whatever, could it have been born in this moment where she learned he's willing to dick around with her family just because he's, she said something he didn't like. Oh God, he's such a nasty person. Uh, (laughs) But I think that it probably was a buildup of stuff. I feel like it must've been kind of like really getting closer into, I don't know what you call it, Armageddon Day, Snowmageddon Day, you know, where Wilford might've started showing a lot more of these kind of like nasty colors, like as freely made, you know, cause I can't imagine that she really worked with him for like it had to be years. This, the relationship yeah. that they have does, is not does not feel like something that's only a couple years old. It feels like a lot of significant development and growth um, has uh, has happened for at least a decade between them, if not longer. It just kind of felt like she was surprised at some of the stuff that he was saying and then she was like taking it in and so you know I think that the just the come you know a built up of a lot of these little instances probably helped her make that final decision when it came down to like the moment oh for sure like well and this one plays into the next couple of flashbacks where in this one She's trying to negotiate for having the geneticists and their families on board. And in the next two flashbacks, he kills them. It's like he agrees to it in bad faith. Like he never puts it. It it makes it seem like he was never going to let them on anyway, because he doesn't even remember agreeing to it in the first place. And then additionally, he's like, you know what? Fine. Just just kill them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. She seems surprised at his actions. And it seems like. Mm. If she has been with him, um, you know, in in his world for since she was seventeen, right? That we gather, or something like that. And here she, you know, is much older. That's like almost twenty or so years. And but we don't know how much of that relationship they spent together, you know, or or maybe she didn't fully know him. I don't know. It just seemed like convenient that at this time, like in a TV show way, like she was barely like, you're not really going to take the genetics, you know? Like I, I don't know. It seemed a bit. F- Naive, but maybe she was, yeah, yeah, like a little bit naive. So it was like, was he just a good, like, you know, getting her to do what he needed her to do so he wasn't showing that side of him, or was she just trying to like think better of him and then finally realize that, oh, he is an asshole, he is like a psycho, you know, he's putting my family at risk and putting, you know, he's not really caring about the science, but like, seems a little bit odd that it was at the very end when they had to leave that she's realizing those moments. 
it could have also been like him knowing that Snowmageddon was upon him and he was going to be the king of the new world. That seems like a, a good time for somebody who, as like narcissistic sociopath would be like, you know what? I can pull out full stops and nobody's going to say shit because like <laughs> you're all alive because of me is right. how he would twist it. So like, why not like be able to just do whatever you want? I mean, he was going to have a brothel. Brothels are not a thing, you know, like, <laughs> it, like right now, like, but he's like um, on my new world, I'm going to have a whole cart just for it. And so I don't know. So in that way, like, that's kind of how I justified it. Cause I kind of right cat thinking the same thing. Like it, it, you know, if I didn't consider that factor, it could have been like way too fast, like kind of like just a cheesy twist, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, we haven't had a good sci-fi cheesy moment in a while. So yeah. I could totally see that being it. But um, I think m- my justification for that was like, there's who's going to stop him. He's yeah. hiring the police that are going to be the, the, that enforcement presence on the train and he's like they're all like loyal to him so it's a little like when a little kid starts to kind of get close to their birthday or maybe their birthday party like they're normal little kids all little kids are selfish to some extent but on that birthday party day they can be a little extra (laughs) and when they start to build up to that moment and they feel it coming (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the power <laughs> basically you know whether whether they're going to Chuck E. cheese or wherever they're going to be jesus for a day <laughs> it can start to build up in a very like the the selfishness is real kind of way and uh it it's not unlike what we saw in these in these chosen flashbacks you know uh in terms of deciding who lives or dies and even in those, the reason he was off the train, as far as I understood it, was he wanted to take personal charge of the fire team that was going to go kill people at the gate. <laughs> right? Yes, yeah. Yeah, that does make sense now that you guys are saying it that way. And then I guess she realized, oh, he he's, he's capable of that. Like, it's just not going to mix well. And like, yeah, so then that's when they decided to take over the train. Yeah, because before that, he was only answering, he was answering to the shareholders. And so it was like keeping him in check. But then the power was there and he was like, fuck, I can do anything I want. <laughs> I can just kill these six Genesis and no one can question me. And that's like how he was going to rule her and Ben were like, no. <laughs> so yeah, that makes, that makes more sense. So yeah. You know, he went out of his way to go ahead and kill this geneticist just for them to end up with a train that would create the tail. Like, <laughs> yeah. like we killed all these people to because we don't have room for them and we need instead the extra arm people and we killed them. And then we also like have this full tail of people that took over and whatnot. I don't know. It just seemed like, that lack of structure, the lack of like good leadership. So anybody who thinks by this point that Wilfred is a great leader, like, Ooh, look within yourself, buddy. Um, because, because <laughs> this is like, so it's just so bad. Like, you, you know, like how he could just kind of like trade human lives like that. Can you imagine what would have happened to the tail had Wilfred made it onto the train? Um, yeah. They would have just, yeah, all been frozen. Although then what does that mean? Well, I guess that's like a whole different story, but like she, if he was never on there, he's, she's just going based off what he was doing. So I wonder if that was also the moment where she was like, I'm like, you know, when she had to like, or the moment she looked to when she had to be in Wilford's place. Cause she was killing people too. Like, you know, kind of horrifically in, right. in ways. so i wonder if like that's the exa- i mean obviously that's the example she went off of 
Yeah, how would <laughs> like her 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 yellow wristband? What would Mister Wilford do? Uh, <laughs> 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 I'd never noticed that person hiding behind the bags in the um, in the tail when the jack boots are trying to clear people out when the train was getting moving in the first episode. Remember that was cut in a way that was hard to tell what was happening, and I had to watch that several times. But in this version of it. And I wonder if they just use the same footage shot from different angles, you know, coverage or whatever. But there was a person uh, hiding behind bags, like on the on the very upper tier of of baggage uh, shelving, that I hadn't noticed the first time around. Just irrational fear that you'd have if you were one of those people, you know, being well represented by that person who wasn't doing a good job but doing the best they could, <laughs> hiding behind luggage. Did you ever expect that it would have been Ben? to make that suggestion that they leave without Mr. W. I didn't. I did not think that it was going to be Ben. And I think that, you know, I think what one of our other things was like, is Ben Alex's dad? This told me he definitely is not. <laughs> Good call. Yeah, I didn't know it was him, but I love that it was him. <laughs> what well, adds a lot of depth to the guy. Yeah. So, so far, ahead. he's just been, you know, a supporting character. This whole thing was his idea. And, and then the fact that those two remain close, it's it's hard to put a, a label on their relationship because I don't know that I would go as far as to say boyfriend-girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> that seems so trivial, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, they're obviously close but he's the one that said it's okay to leave your daughter because we're protecting the rest of the you know humanity. That's a tough guy to get close with, I would think. Yeah, but Melanie is like a scientist, and I think that she always has the bigger picture of life like on the forefront. She was doing her own risk analysis. And I think that part of it is that she owns the accountability. Like she's never taken, she's never told anybody. She never even told Alex like, Oh, it was actually Ben. And I was just following what he said. No, she, she takes accountability. This is very heavy on her. Maybe she is like drawn to be closer to Ben because they do share that because I, because I, Javi, I don't believe was in the engine room. Mm -hmm. Um, right. In that, in that scene, it was just them. So the Spaniard, like, if you will. <laughs> right. So, so it's just them. It's like their, their thing that only they can like really like talk about, hold on, hold on to together. And they both like are suffering, whatever i mean i'm i know melanie is um i i think that melanie would know if ben was a bad guy you know but i i feel like she probably is just taking it from like that very science perspective and she was already contemplating it herself and he was just saying it out loud that's what i gotta think just the build-up of all these other moments were pretty ben free uh the other flashbacks the the quote-unquote case against mr wilford but he was there when he ordered the various, you know, the scientists killed. He was there when he's like, you know what? I'm going to go uh, with Commander Gray and <laughs> weed out some of these other guys. And he probably would have been privy to other discussions. Who knows how long that relationship with Mel and Ben went, if it went pre-train or, or what. Um, chances are they they have a long working history. So, you know, they they could have 
share different discussions, probably pre-romance, if that's even the right word. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was in season one. It was before the train knew that Wilford wasn't on the train where I think Melanie encourages Javi like to go talk to somebody or like go find somebody to date or whatever. And he says, I can't because I'd have to tell them the truth. As you guys are talking, it just kind of makes me think of like an even more reason why Melanie is able to be connected with Ben because they that is the literally the only person who can who knows everything, like knows <laughs> knows the truth and is like in it as a partnership at the truth, and and so it makes it easier to kind of like pick that person to take care of your like biological needs. <laughs> If you will. But then do you, why do you think that he was not in the flash? I mean, and not in the flashback, sorry. And, um, as one of the people that showed up in her head. Yeah. Because it seems like she, he is a, a big part of obviously her life because they, like you just said, like I, that, that all makes sense of like, you know, they share something that it's like kind of unspoken. They don't need to talk about it. They have that big burden that they did and they did it for humanity and all that kind of thing. Maybe there's no contention there. So like he, she, he didn't show up in her, in, in, in you know, in, in her head, what during the, um, like while she was snowed in or whatever. So yeah. maybe he's just a resource to her yeah. <laughs> for, for that specific need. And, and all the other ones are kind of like dry purpose drivers. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's what I was, that's what I was kind of getting at with the, is, is romance even the right word for Ben? Like you just called out uh cat he didn't make the cut for for a head presence in while well, in these moments of need because i just don't think the the connection is there with even even though andre is can you know much newer influence on her on her life i think he made her face herself in, yeah. in certain ways that that ben doesn't challenge yeah that's true yeah, he doesn't question her. I think Andre kind of made her a better person in a way or made her realize what she was doing was wrong or whatever. Yeah. Put the accountability in her face about like the real impact of those decisions as opposed to like the theoretical decision that that uh, Ben made. Like Ben and, and Melanie really don't know what it was like to live in the tale the way that Andre does. And so um, I like that Andre does hold her accountable for it. And I'm glad that it's on her mind um, very heavy over than just getting the D from Ben. Well, now, now that she, now that she's eaten rat. Uh. <laughs> that rat looks really good. Okay. they did a great job making that look like a very like that like i really appreciate that they make you we go from the little tiny like pea-sized dry food bar that she was eating uh and rationing for the day and then they give us this glorious like greasy and just like skins really well like they made it like a like a rotisserie mouse from the store (laughs) that's what it looked like to me they did good like you get at the rodeo or something. Uh, <laughs> instead yeah. of a turkey lug, you get get the rat. <laughs> Did you guys think that she was cracking up uh, when the food disappeared prior to the rat discovery? Because she woke up one time and there was and there was no and she thought that there'd be oatmeal bar left, but there was some gone. I thought she was losing it. I did think that she was losing it. 
at first I was listening to her talking to herself through it. And when she said, but I did not eat it, I believed her. And I, my mind immediately went to, oh my gosh, maybe there's like mice in the station. But then I thought, how could there be mice in the station? There's no way for them to survive. And that unless we're going to get really sci-fi cheesy. So that's kind of what I was looking for. <laughs> I think they, they, did, they played it well, where it did seem like she might've been losing it. I thought so. The idea of the of the station having been built right on top of a geothermal pocket like that and those other scientists that were alleged climate scientists. <laughs> I guess maybe they weren't geologists. I, I guess maybe that was their failing because they built it right on top, but then didn't take advantage of the fact that there was life-sustaining heat coming out of the out of the floor. They didn't have Melanie on their team. <laughs> That's that's advice. they didn't have a, a Melanie who like could like make that kind of like connection and like build something. Melanie was there; she would have taken care of that. That station would have been rocking for a long time if she was in charge of it. What did you think of that connection with the idea of the previous tenants, the woman turning out the her her husband for uh, taking an unfair share of food, or, or do you think that, that was just head Mister Wilford fucking with her? I mean, it was an interesting parallel. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. And I honestly hadn't really thought about it. I kind of just always take every time that Wilford's talking, <laughs> I just kind of take it as like, don't trust this motherfucker. <laughs> so um, I I kept thinking, well, those are just stories. Like, I don't... I. I don't know anything about like what really happened there other than it looked like evidence of like mania episodes um, and starvation. But uh, I wasn't really taking Wilford's stuff, um, but I sh- probably should have. You guys are real. You you two are really good at, at that. So I'm going to hush up and listen to what else you got to say about it. No, you're really good, too. As much as she wants to kind of get away from Wilford and obviously she doesn't go to his level of um, like he, I mean, she knew that he, what he was going to ultimately do on the train would be wrong and it would have been like very bad for everybody on the train, including her um, and for like civilization in part. Like, I think she also just can't help get her, like literally get him out of her head because he's such a big influence for probably all those years. And the fact that she was so pessimistic or pessimistic in like his, his story, it would had to be like, Oh yeah, the, the girl, you know, like what, what he came up with or her head came up with. It's just so negative. I don't know. Like, I guess that's the, what she thinks about Wilford all the time. <laughs> it's like just worst case scenario. And like, like she didn't think, Oh, they just went hungry and you know went crazy and and did what they needed to do it had to be this like really weird very wilfordy like of course they turned on each other and blah blah blah. and like so i don't know what that means it it just shows how much of that influence isn't you know with her of that negativity and like abusive stuff (laughs) from wilford well given that i mean we can take for granted that she is seeing things to some extent you know, she's slapping five with people that aren't there. You know, she's she's trying to she's struggling with what's really there. She 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 has to touch the rat to know that it's real. So then in your minds as television viewers, does that cast any doubt on her having missed the train in that last scene? Did we see a, a, a nightmare play out or did we see? Her miss the goddamn train. 
Oh man. My brain works a lot in like always being this detective mode. And I felt like I was dispelling and giving Melanie all kinds of credit throughout the episode for like these continued scientific, like justifications and, and the ways that, you know, I was rejoiced. I loved the way that they showed how like rats have life and the whole like science around that little like nesting area. The little rat spa. Yes, the rat spa, uh, her buffet spot there. After all of my excitement of seeing how it was played out, like, wow, she's so fucking strong and resilient and how she survived this whole time. All of that went out the window and I'm like, please let Snowpiercer disappearing be all in her head. Like, this was the one time that I'm like, no, don't do that to her. That's why this episode was really cool because you, you know, the the mental aspect of like what's there, what's not there really does play with the viewer. And so like now that you asked the question, I'm like, oh, crap. Like, I mean, I know what I want it to be, but <laughs> I wonder if it's real. And I hope that she doesn't miss the train because what does that mean? Like, will she be able to get back to the station? Like, isn't that suit not going to last another trip back? Like, unless she made it, unless she somehow finds the, what is it, the snow thing buried or something <laughs> like that can help mm, her. Right. So then that would not be good. I, I would have to assume uh, unless they're acts. I, I feel like that can't be the end of Jennifer Connelly in this sense. And just like, you know, in terms of like TV stuff, like that can't be the way she, she dies. That would be horrible. I mean, that would be very Game of Thronesy, but like I, I would not be satisfied. And I hope there's like more to her story. So I hope she didn't miss it. Like, I hope it is like a dream. But we do know that it can stop. Like, it's got some time that it can stop. So, like, maybe next episode it's going to be <laughs> just going to be like, oh, yeah, sorry, we overshot you. <laughs> you have to walk and catch up to us since we can't really reverse at this point. We know that it can be down for a certain amount of time and it would be okay. But, yeah, if it really was, how do you think that this happened? How do you think that somehow something went wrong? What could have gone wrong in the train and made, or, or I'm sorry, uh, made, helped Wilford meet this goal of like leaving Melanie behind, which he said from the beginning that that's what he wants is get her off the train and let her die out there, you know, or like if we go the route of that, she's seen something like, what do you think that this means for her at, at that point? Those are great questions. I mean, I was personally hoping that it was a dream sequence of some sort, even though that's that's a wicked cheat. That's a very like soap opera kind of turn to take is, you know, next week she wakes up and it's like, oh, time to go get the train. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> or they're on the radio. I finally answering her on the radio. Yeah. I mean, all that stuff that you guys were saying about her situation, they showed the batteries that she brought with her. And when they were good to go, they they shined either a blue or a green light, and they showed that they were showing red. I think the, the situation with the power in the station was that she could bring along the batteries, and that could get that could kind of jumpstart the station, which it did. And then the solar panels could work with the batteries to keep it going for the month that she needed, needed to be there. But I think that was it. And that last time they showed the batteries, they had no light coming out of them at all. The station is kind of done at this point because, you know, every day she had to go back out there and wipe off the panels. And there wasn't really that much sun to get anyway. If the train doesn't stop, then she's screwed. Yeah. You are right that we have seen it stop. If this is all real, 
And the fact that we saw Alex banging on the glass and her sort of being the de facto chief engineer, even though Snowpiercer's in front, everything seems like slaved to the big Alice engine, which is where Alex would have been because that's in the way, way back. Uh, In fact, that back window would have been in Mr. Wilford's private area. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if, if I have the layout correct. And if she's not in charge of stopping the train, then no one is, which would make you wonder, well, then who's, who is in charge of what the train is doing? And they, I guess the answer would be Mr. Wilford, which is not a great answer. But if you remember last week, the way things wound up, he was starting to take over the train. Right. We had the, his Wilford Knights uh, murdering the breachman. Perhaps this overlaps that storyline in a way that we haven't seen yet. So we saw the beginning of his little play, but we didn't see how that wound up in in terms of controlling the train. We saw the doors shutting between the trains. We saw Miss Audrey staying with him, but that's it. So what does that mean? I mean, if you're Melanie and the, and if I'm right and the station is toast, then you just like follow behind it, like stand by me style. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. We have two more episodes, right? This is six. So we got seven, eight, and nine to go. Sorry, seven, eight, nine, ten. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> so next week, I, I would suppose that we have to get back on the train and see how how this coup is going down do you suppose we see melanie again next week or do you think it'll it'll be mysterious for a while as to her her fate they better show me melanie (laughs) i'm so stressed out for her right now yeah if they go another episode without like i i would hope it would be something like we don't see her the whole episode then maybe at the very end like kind of how they did it with this like it kind of lines up because also like jennifer connelly is a big deal so like i would imagine they wouldn't like not have her again for so many episodes but who knows (laughs) yeah they could be also using that expectation of her being in there to not use her too you know like so it seems like the writers are not really going off like the a lot of stereotypes and tropes which i love it's going away from what i think it's you know like our tv program brains so i like that too (laughs) so who knows i wonder if you know part of the stuff that she negotiated for in terms of the supplies like we saw her with one snowmobile and then a couple of sleds behind her i wonder if there was anything in reserve you know because we saw that the snowmobile was probably crushed under the avalanche along with one of those sleds that had her food uh, but I wonder if there was anything else that they that she might have left nearer the track. I don't know why you would do that unless it was just an occasion just like this where you can't trust Mr. Wilford. So you've got to jump on something and kind of uh, try to get on the train, you know, like Lone Ranger style. Mm, or maybe people who know that they're passing by, maybe they're like going to dump um, some kind of like extra supplies for her because they know that they're not going to be able to stop for whatever reasons that are going on inside. Ah, now that idea has has legs. Yeah. Someone like Ben would notice uh, we didn't slow down enough for a human <laughs> to be able to grab on. Yeah, they barely can like move in those things. You know, it's so hard watching them, especially like it just always seems like slow-mo, like like astronaut in space because it's really harsh conditions. So, uh, yeah, they're like somebody somebody in a suit out there in this wind is not going to be able to just run and hop like this is not the Wild West. I can't remember how fast they say the train goes, but 
I think something, what was it, like 80 miles per hour or something? Like pretty fast, not, <laughs> not, not slow enough for you to just reach up and grab. Oh no, I, I'm just stressed out and I'm ready for the next one. <laughs> yeah, me too. Well, that makes three of us. Uh, we look forward to talking about it again next week. So this is Paul. This is Kat. And this is Inez. And we'll catch you again next week for episode seven of TNT's Snowpiercer. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.